0: We're going to have some Bible time in here as well. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. We've been uh, working our way through this wonderful little book. We're going to continue on this morning. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. If you had asked me just a couple of years ago, If I would be preaching for the Northside Church in Jeffersonville, Indiana, I would have said, you're crazy. Indiana? Where's Indiana? I've heard of it. I didn't know if it was in Central America or just where it was, but I knew I'd heard of it before. I was recently reminded that uh, day before yesterday marked uh, the one-year anniversary of a Zoom meeting that took place. Um, I think they were set up in the commons, and they were passing a computer around, and I was talking to people um, about coming here. Uh, to be the preacher. I, you know, how God works out his will in our lives, sometimes it's just, it's just amazing. You just, you just don't have any idea of how he's going to work things out. Um, what we think will happen, what we think should happen, oftentimes doesn't. And something completely, entirely different does happen. And there are some things about God's will that we just don't have any clue about. And that's okay. That's okay. His plan is always right. His timing is always perfect. God always knows. You know, there's an old saying that God is never late, but he's rarely early. He's just always right on time. Oftentimes, I have asked God if he could be just a little bit earlier in letting me know some things, but rarely, rarely has he seen fit to do that. He's always right on time. There's so much about his will that we don't know, but there's so much about his will that we already do know because he's revealed it to us in this book that we call the Bible. And all that stuff that I don't know will take care of itself if I will just begin to do that which I already know to be his will. That's sort of where we left off last Sunday. That's really what Paul is talking about when he's writing to the Thessalonians. You know how to walk and you know how to please God. He says, we told you about that and you're doing that. But he says, I want you to do it more and to do it more, to keep going on this journey. He said, God's will for your life is your sanctification, your sanctification. We, we talked about that last week. What does that mean to be sanctified? It, 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 it literally means just to be set apart, to be holy, to be different to be something that God uses for his glory, to be a person who walks with God more and more every day, hopefully looking more like God today than you did yesterday, looking more like him today than you did a year ago, and hopefully a year from now, you will even look more like him than you do today. Being sanctified, that is God's will for your life. And in the midst of your sin your brokenness, you can actually know him and walk with him right now on this journey that you're on. And there is so much joy in that. We receive so much joy when we begin to walk with God and let his spirit come alongside of us in our lives. Paul was trying to minimize things that would be a threat to to their relationship with the Lord, trying to to minimize that. And what we dealt with last week, Paul brought up this threat of sexual immorality. That obviously must have been a problem there in the church in Thessalonica. But look at what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to just briefly touch on this before we continue on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because this is the same verbiage that Paul uses uh, to the church in Thessalonica. Verse 18, Paul says, the word of the Lord, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. It it sort of reminds me of of, um, Potiphar's wife. You remember when Potiphar... Came, uh, Potiphar's wife came to Joseph. Joseph was in, in charge of, he was second in charge of, of everything. And Potiphar's uh, wife comes to him, and she says, sleep with me. And this was probably not the first time this has happened. Um, Joseph did not, did, did I say it right? My wife's looking at me. Joseph, what did I say first? I didn't say that. Joseph, it's in the book of Genesis. Go back and read it. (laughs) Read the whole Bible this afternoon before you take your nap. Joseph, um, Potiphar's wife comes to him. Sleep with me, she says. And he did not stand there and try to reason with her. He didn't try to talk about things. Well, let's discuss this. What did he do? Took off running, didn't he? In fact, he left his cloak there. Got him in trouble. Paul says to the church in Corinth, flee, run away, get out of there. Sometimes you don't have, there's, there's no time to talk about it. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And then he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. Listen to this. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. He says, you don't belong to yourself anymore. Why? Because you were purchased. You were bought at a price. What price did God buy you with? The blood of his own son, the most precious gift that could ever be given. That's what you were bought with, the price of the blood of Jesus. So he says, you don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong to him. So honor God with your body. So that's what Paul was telling the church in Thessalonica. Flee from this. Minimize this threat to your walk with with God. I I want you to minimize that threat so that you can come into a closer relationship with him and be sanctified. So the second issue that Paul brings up that we're going to read about today is brotherly love, a family love, a very close love. He's talking about the family of believers here, those who have been bought with that precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is so important. Uh, the Apostle John uh, wrote about this. 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 20, he says, If anyone says, I love God, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a Liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this idea of brotherly love, it's so, it's so very important to us. So let's read our text this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 9. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout the whole area of Macedonia, Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Paul knows that they have been taught by God to love one another. Paul knows that. How does he know that? He sees it in their lives. (laughs) He sees it in the way that they love each other. He sees it in the way that they treat one another. It has become evident and not just those local brothers, but he says, the brothers all throughout Macedonia. He can see it. It's, it's very evident. And he says, you have been taught by God to do that. The evidence is in their lives. They, they've suffered persecution. We read about that in chapter 2. They, they have been suffering persecution, and they've, they've pulled together they have become this, this tight-knit group of believers. I think that's something that is lost on us at times in our, in our world in our culture. I, I saw some of this uh, in Africa when, when people um, left idol worship at times and they beca- and they became Christians they 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 huddle together as brothers and sisters. I mean, they love each other. They spend so much time with each other. Think about what is happening here in Thessalonica in the first century. These Christians, some of them have followed Jesus and it's, it's been at a great price. Some of them have been persecuted by the government, but think about the family relationships. Some of them have have left their fathers, their mothers. Some of them probably have been ostracized by their own family members because they have followed this man named Jesus of Nazareth. They, they, they hail him as Messiah. They say that Jesus is Lord. What are they doing? And so some of them, many of them, have been ostracized by their family, disowned, dead. You're dead to me now. And so think about this this fellowship. The Bible talks about this cornonia. It's a Greek word that means this fellowship, this close-knit group of people that are now followers of Jesus Christ. That's that's who these people are. They pulled together, and they loved one another deeply. You know, I, I... I think back through the years about my own family, uh, some of my own blood family. Um, I am closer. I am closer to members in the body of Christ than I am to many of my own family members. Why? Because I have family members. I have people that I know and that I love who are not believers, who are not followers of Jesus Christ. And so I naturally have a closer bond to those who share the same faith that I have, even though we're not blood related when it comes to biology. You understand? When I came here, even though I wasn't sure where Indiana was, when I came here in a very short period of time, I began to feel closer to you than even some of my own blood relatives. Because I know that you love God. I know that you're striving to be like Jesus. I want to strive to be like Jesus. I want to be pleasing to God. And so all of a sudden I find that we're in the same boat. We're pulling together. We're in the same family. I I have a love for you. Even though I've not known you very long, I'm beginning to fall in love with you more and more. And, And I love you more than I do some of my own family members. Because you're in Christ. We share a common love for each other. Paul said, there is no need to write to you about this. But guess what? (laughs) He does anyway. (laughs) You know, it's sort of like when you introduce somebody, you're like, this next man needs no introduction. And then you start reading this long list of achievements, you know. But you just said he doesn't. Paul says, I don't have any need to write to you about this. But since I got my pen in hand, I'm going to go ahead and write a little bit about this. This is God's will for your life. Do it more and more. Jesus said in John chapter 13, um, I think about 34, verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, all men will know that you're my disciples. What? Is anybody awake this morning? Indiana? Anybody awake in Indiana this morning? And I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another by the love that you have for each other, that's going to speak volumes to the world around you, that you belong to me. That is so important because you and I will not always agree. You and I will not always agree on every point. Some of it will will be matters in the Scripture. I see that in Bible class sometimes. I'll say something and I'll see people go, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that or not. That's okay. You can be wrong if you, if you want to be wrong. <laughs> Listen, I always reserve the right to change my mind. I have changed it several times over the course of my life, and probably uh, I'll change it again. But the reason I believe something is because I believe I'm right, right? Isn't that why you believe what you believe? If you thought it was not right, you would change your mind. You would believe something differently. So I believe what I believe because I think it's right. But I'm always open-minded. I want to to know what's right. And so if you can change my mind, then then I I will go with that, you see. But it's all based on the scriptures of what God wants for us. The Bible says that people will know we belong to God if we love one another. And that is a hallmark. That that should be a hallmark of of Christian fellowship. Even when we disagree, we still love. We still love each other. But it's sort of been our history, not just our history. Uh, This is rife all throughout the denominational world and, and all up and down the whole gamut but it's, it's, it's really been a part of our restoration movement history that when I disagree with you and you disagree with me, you go and you make the, the uh, east side church and I make the west side church. And then we have another uh, disagreement, and now we have the north side and the, and the south side church. It, it, hasn't that been our history? A hallmark of the Christian walk should be that even though we don't always agree, we love. And we love one another deeply from the heart. That would be a testimony to our world. But our world looks around and they see east side, north side, south side, west side. And that's just in in one little body of people. That's not just talking about different, whole different groups of people. That's just in in one denomination or one church. We have all these different factions. And the world looks around and, and says, well, they can't even love each other. Why would I want to be a part of that? But that should be our hallmark, that even though you and I disagree, we love each other, and we love each other deeply. That would be a testimony to our world. All right, now I've started preaching. Got to go back to the text here. Let's look at verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. Well, what does this have to do with brotherly love? Make it your amb- Be ambitious to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, business and to work with your hands. Well, what does that have to do with brotherly love? Well, we're going to cheat a little bit, and we're going to go over to 2 Thessalonians. Just a few pages in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. See, we already know the end of the story because we read the book. Y'all going to read the whole book when you get home anyway today. Um, Read about Joseph. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Paul says, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are Busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. So some had become idle, they weren't being busy, he says they were busy bodies. Some commentators have, have said that, you know, because of the second coming, they, Paul keeps talking about Jesus' return, Jesus' return, that there were some in Thessalonica who apparently had decided, we're going to stop working and we're just going to hang out and wait for Jesus to return. And because of that, because of their uh, not working, not working with their hands, not staying busy, they'd become idle And now they're getting in other people's business, b-i-d-n-e-s-s. Their business. They're sticking their nose where their nose shouldn't be. And that happens when you're not busy, when you're not doing what you should be doing. That's that's sometimes our problem. That's been our problem through the decades, through the ages. Is that when we're not really busy doing what God wants us, that's when we start sticking our nose in other people's business. We just need to focus on what God wants us to do, and other things will take care of itself. See, they had become idle, and because of that, they were getting involved in other things, um, spinning their wheels. He says, um, work with your hands. Stay busy. Earn the bread that you eat. If, you, if you're not working, you shouldn't be eating. How does this refer to brotherly love? Verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul is telling them, carry carry your own weight. Carry your own load so that you don't have to depend on the family of believers for money, for providing for you when you ought to be working and providing for yourself. They'd become idle. They were sitting around possibly waiting for Jesus. And he says, you need to work with your hands, provide for yourself so that you can contribute to the needs of others, so that you're not a burden on the family, and also so that people outside the body of Christ would see that. They would respect that, and they would say, there is something right about the way that they live. There's something right about this body of believers who call themselves followers of Jesus. They believe in Jesus as Messiah. Man, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but, but I'm telling you what, there's something right about how they treat each other. There's something right about how they love one another. They love each other deeply. It seems genuine. Even when they disagree, they still love each other. You see, that, that would win the respect of outsiders. They couldn't say anything negative about you in that regard, at least. Think about how that relates to a church body, a family of believers where significant needs can arise. Paul says, live in such a way where your love increases, where no one can accuse you of of taking advantage of the love that exists in the body. Nobody can say you're just mooching on everybody else. Live in such a way where you are ambitious to love others more than you are to receive in an abusive way the love that is available to you because you're a part of this family. You don't want anybody to look at you and say, man, he's always just mooching on the church. Now, Paul's not talking about people that that need help, that are struggling. You understand this? All of us, there are, all of us can fall on hard times. There have been times, I dare say, in all of our lives when we we just needed some help, just needed a little help, just needed a, a leg up. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about those who have become idle, who've become busybodies. They're not pulling their weight, and they're basically just mooching off of everybody else. He says, it's time to to get back to work. It's time to stop being a busybody and earn your own keep. Not just for yourself, but so that you'll have something to contribute when there is someone who is really in need. Live in a way that you gain the respect of those outside the church, and then no one inside the church can say, you're taking advantage of us. You're just taking advantage of the love that exists here. We have the opportunity to live so closely, to love each other so deeply That everyone here feels great about being a part of this family, about being a part of this body of believers. And I think when we do that, then we can begin to have an impact on our community, on the community around us. We can begin to be salt and light in our world because we love each other deeply and from the heart. Maybe it, was, maybe it was easier in the first century to display that. No? I don't think so either. I just threw that out. But, but I, I think sometimes we, we like to, to satisfy the fact that we're not doing certain things by saying it was easier in the first century because maybe everybody could see each other and how they were living. I, I don't think that that's true. I think today, if we as a body of believers were all about brotherly love, loving each other deeply, from the heart, sincerely, even though we disagree, even though you don't agree with everything I say and I don't maybe agree with you, we, we love each other so deeply. That in turn, we, we, we have this desire within us to want to bring more people into that fellowship. And when we begin to live that way, when the Holy Spirit begins to take over our lives, and we wake up in the morning and we say, God, how could I live for you today that would win the respect of the people I work with, the people in my community, on the street where I live? How could I live in such a way that I could win their respect and bring more people into this family, your family, man, brotherly love. That's that's God's will for our life, our sanctification, and living for each other. Not just so that we can love each other and, and have a good time here, but so we could have an impact on the world around us. Don't you want that? I want it. And I believe this church uh, is prime for that. Wednesday night, I'm going to start a, a series on, on discipleship. We're going to look at discipleship training. It's going to be in the commons. I want everybody to be here. I know some of you, it gets dark uh, early and, and, and you, you're not able to come out. I understand that. But if you ad- can be here at all, please be here. Uh, we're going to start thinking about discipleship training and how we can begin to be salt and light in our world.